Hello and welcome to the Squeaky Bum Time Podcast with not Mike and Laurent. It is Friday, December 2nd, 2nd, 2nd. In this episode, we're going to discuss the entire group stage. What happened, where they were, who lost, who won, winners and losers. But first, we've got to discuss the U.S. men's national team's amazing result against Iran. A 1-0, a nervy game, a game that we thought could be won and was won, a game that showed American metal, a game that showed American steel, a game that showed the world that we have great footballers who play as a unit. I think the thing that I've taken away most from these games is how much, and I've killed Greg Bohalter, and God forbid, Manny, please don't hate me. Uh, and, and I've killed him before. But he does have this team playing in a style that is recognizable. From game to game, especially in the first half, except, except for one game where we weren't good in the first half, especially in the first half, we come and attack people, and there are patterns of play, and you can see where the ball's going to go between Tyler Adams dropping deep and filling in gaps when Tim Ream runs forward, and when you can see the ball go out wide to Musa, you know where he's going to go, and we have switches of play, and it's kind of this sort of overlapping side where the where Dest and, and, um, and Robinson are playing forward. It looks like... Your Manchester Cities, your your attacking teams, your Brightons, where there's interchanging players moving all around, and it just worked. And it didn't look like Iran, Iran, as uh, as the journalist who attacked Tyler Adams uh, made him correct it too, which is fine. Uh, really understood what had hit them, and whatever. I think it's interesting having watched. The U.S. qualify in CONCACAF. The performances were never this good and fluid. That could be because of the nature of CONCACAF qualifications, where the pitchers are bad, the refereeing is shoddy, and you you just kind of have to be blood and thunder. So we have to play one way within our group to get to the World Cup, and our only competition is Mexico that really tests us. So we didn't really play well most of the time in qualifying. And Burhalter trying things and, and Adams not always being there or McKinney not always being there. But when our unit is together, Musa, Adams, McKinney with Pulisic, I think those are the four real core. And Aronson, who hasn't been playing much, but Aronson as well, I think is an important player. When and Wea, and that group is getting time to be together. You can see a cohesive group that has a plan and a way that they want to play. Um, I do want to sort of go through the game a bit more just, just to get a sense of where we are and what happened. It was a dominant performance, it was a strong performance. It was what you would expect from the United States. Now, I think we have a, a baseline of what the team is and what it can be and what it really does and how it can attack and where it can press and who you should look for and what kind of positions the team is going to get in. Um, 
you feel like there is a way that we're going to attack. Let's just sort of call this out. The United States were unbeaten in their group. There's not a lot of teams that can say they were unbeaten. The draw versus Wales, we won the XG battle. The draw versus England, well, no, we didn't win XG. We won the XG versus Iran. The the draw versus England, we held their XG under one. Wales gets a higher XG because of the the header by um, by Kiefer Moore, and then the penalty is always 0.7. But we played a four three three with Iran. We had we we beat them in XG, beat them in possession, beat um, Wales in possession. Our four three three works every single time so far. And we're just playing well, and things are going the way we'd expect. Uh, I really want to shout out a really unsung player that I think is going to be missed if he if he doesn't if we don't have him. And I think Josh Sargent was really really good in the Iran game. He played an important important role. Uh, his role was to run the channels, put himself about, and be a presence that had to be marked. And he did that really, really well. Um, as whenever he made runs forward, you could see uh, the problems it was causing for Iran. They would drop back. And as he runs forward, then the space is filled by your Pulisic's and, and the like. And they're filling, and, and Wea, although Wea stayed wide most of the time. So really good stuff from the U.S. And I'm really encouraged by how the U.S. played. Um, I'd like us to. See, I'd like to see the team score more uh, and create and really finish opportunities a bit more. Um, our fulcrum is still Tyler Adams. He led the team in touches. He, you know, second in tackles. You this most. So we know our strength is in the midfield. I don't think the Dutch have a better midfield. Uh, you know, Way has been good. I do want to see if Pulisic is going to miss the first half. He scored the goal. He took two shots. He was in control of the game. He was our top getter of XG, which makes sense because he did score a goal and created the most scoring opportunities along with Sergio Dest in the game. So we're, we're scoring and doing the things we expect to do uh, in these games, which is great. Um, and I think that, you know, for the U.S. to win this game, it's going to have to be that same energy. But can we get another goal because I do want to talk about the second half of this game and I think especially the last 20 minutes and this is where I think Manny our most vocal our most vocal of our of our WhatsApp group will sort of have and take issue with um, Greg Bolhalter is when we have that one goal lead what what is the mentality of the team? What are we planning to do with that one goal lead? How long are we willing to sit on it? And do you stop attacking? Um, it is a natural thing when you have a lead to sit back and lose some of that killer instinct. But I would urge Berhalter to tell the team to keep going. Um, our best strength is the midfield. Our best strength is, is to attack and push forward. We're not a great defensive unit. Uh, I don't trust Zimmerman. I like what Reem's done. But I don't want to have him be nodding balls away and trying to defend all game or a half hour like we did against Iran. I think that last 20 minutes of Iran was 
was really super difficult and scary and something I don't want to have to go through again. I think, you know, I listened to Roger Bennett talk to Pablo Torre on the uh, ESPN Daily podcast. And it's, you know, it's crap your pants time. It's are you going to shit yourself? Because those balls going into the box, those balls that could be a penalty when you're when you're late in a game and that ball and you're just trying to defend your box, every ball that enters the box is a petrifying moment that you just don't know how to deal with because you allow risk to be involved. You allow chance. You could be the best defender in the world. One leg stuck out, a guy runs over it, it looks bad in a replay, and you're gone. It's a penalty. It's a penalty. Uh, you're not doing anything wrong, but that's the nature of the game. You want the best teams in the world. They don't defend well. They don't, sorry, they don't try and think about defending uh, goals. What they try and do is keep you away from our box. That is Guardiola's and Manchester City's and the Barcelona philosophy of we press high and we hold on to the ball because we don't want to defend our box. We don't want anyone near our area. We don't want people shooting. The best way to defend is to not let people even shoot. To not let anyone even near your box. You want to defend as far away from it as possible. And I think that's where the nerviness came in for the U.S., which was that um, the ball was way close to our box for the last 20 minutes. And they were in and around. And Zimmerman was heading balls away over and over again in corners. You don't want the ball in your area because the more time it's in that area, the more chance you are putting luck onto your team. So that's that's the U.S. Um, that's the U.S. perspective on the Iran game. Now let's go through some of the results because we missed a lot of them. That you know we we were on on Monday and a lot has gone on since then. So we've now we were at the halfway point and now we finished the entire first round and we know who's in the round of sixteen uh, and who is out of the World Cup and and where we are right now. So. Monday, Senegal defeated Ecuador. They go through on the same day that Iran beat the USA. England defeated Wales. There was no contest there. Wales were terrible and really didn't show anything. And the Netherlands had a tepid performance, and we're going to check back on them against Qatar, only 2-0. Not really that big of a game. Then Tunisia, out of the blue, defeats France. It's a big deal for the Tunisians. A massive, massive, massive result for Australia against Denmark, putting them into the next round and then Argentina just completely blast Poland out of the water great performance Poland are awful and then Mexico just can't get the goal they need and they lose to Saudi Arabia in just the most impoverished style they just needed another goal and couldn't get it Poland showed nothing and completely back into the round of 16 Poland to me are the weakest team left in the tournament Belgian, nil-nil with Croatia. Belgian are out. Morocco defeats Canada, and De Canada, I have to say, their tournament got worse and worse. As they had the great performance versus Belgium, then they lose again, and then they finally lose to Morocco. Poor, poor result there. And then the Group E game from yesterday. Japan 2, Germany, Spain 1, Germany 4, Costa Rica 2. Wow, this was very dramatic, and we'll go through it. Japan, go through. Germany are 
out. And then today's games, even more drama with Uruguay and South Korea versus Portugal. These two days, this Group E and Group H final matchups were insane. And we're going to go right to those with Switzerland uh, also defeating Serbia with Cameroon getting their first win, first African win against a team from Brazil. But the next place we're going to go is back to Mexico. Um, just to touch on where Mexico were, they are obviously our number one rival uh, for the U.S., and they just showed nothing against Saudi Arabia. They finally attacked. Tata Martino um, immediately fired right at the end of the game. And really the issue for Mexico is the issue for a lot of these teams that are taking a negative approach of sitting back, trying not to give anything they're finding out, I mean, maybe one team succeeded at it, Poland in some sense. They're finding out that that just doesn't work anymore. If you have the talent, go try and get it. Mexico showed against a Saudi Arabian team that had been playing well and did press and did attack that you can get something out of it. And, you know, Mexico lose because they didn't get a result versus Poland. And so they bow out of the World Cup in the in the group stage for the first time in you know 20 since 1978 I believe is the last time they missed a group stage and Mexicans and the and our brothers in the south they're just going to have to really assess where they are um really think about being positive and getting a more attacking flair and really release some of the old guards I don't want to see Ochoa anymore I don't want to see Guardado anymore. I don't want to hear about Chicharito anymore. You've got to shake the tree or shake the cactus tree or shake the agave and find the next great Mexican players and really have a look in the mirror and encourage Mexican players to go to Europe. This is what we've done in the U.S. It seems to be working. It seems the teams that have strong – and it's not Eurocentric. It's just that's where the best league is, and your players have to be playing with – the best coaches in the best leagues. And so we've got to get Mexican players over to Europe sooner. La Liga would be fine. It's a Spanish-speaking league. Even, I mean, I suppose Liga MX is good in some sense, but I just I just think they have to challenge themselves. If you're good, get out of there. Think about Chicharito. Chicharito left Guadalajara as a teenager and then went to play for Alex Ferguson. It's not a coincidence that he was Mexico's best player for a long time. Guardado has been in Spain a long time, and he's still playing over there. So we've got to get your players out there. Uh, the other part of the story was Poland backing into the second place in this group after uh, a really good performance by Argentina. I mean, this is the team we were looking for. This is the the event that we were looking for with McAllister and Alvarez scoring goals, uh, exciting stuff there, but that's not where the crazy stuff happened. So we're just going through the groups, just some of the results that we missed just to clear things up. The next group that was sort of bonkers was um, the Spain, Costa Rica, Germany, just within the flow of the game, Spain getting a lead. Sorry, Japan getting the goal on a borderline out of bounds ball, whatever. It'll it'll be debated forever because news agencies like to have a debate. The ball was just enough. It just has to have a sliver. VAR checked it, whatever. The goal goes in for Japan, and they defeat Spain after sitting deep. Um, and I think some of the issues with Spain that I talked about earlier were 
taken to light. Spain had 83% possession, took over 1,000 passes, but amounting to nothing. You know, Japan didn't have the ball, but on the break, they pressed. They got their they got their goal. Spain took an early goal, an early lead with Morata. It looked like they would run through it, and it would be an easy win. But Spain's World Cup now is a declining World Cup. So they come into the round of 16 maybe thinking, oh, are we as good as we thought? They had the 7-0 versus Costa Rica. They were like, wow, this is amazing. And then slowly but surely, they sort of get smaller and smaller in this World Cup and kind of back in after getting their first win um, in their group. So this is the first time they haven't finished first in their group in a long time. They haven't lost a group game since that first one in 2010. So interesting for Spain, but really good for Japan, who in the dying embers pull out the goal to defeat them in the 51st minute. It's not in the dying embers, but they're up a goal by two quick goals early in the second half by Down and Tanaka. Uh, again, Mitomo involved with the run for that goal, the Brighton boy. Uh, and then that just meant that Germany was going to have to try and win the game, and they just were not there. There were minutes there when Japan was losing. Um, when uh, Costa Rica were up 2-1 on a Manuel Noria own goal, where both Germany and Spain were out until Havertz scored. That changed everything. Full Craig came on. Havertz scored three goals, two goals, 73 and 89 and 85, and then full crew in 89. So Germany were getting their goals and they do win the game, but their whole World Cup collapses because they could not beat Japan. But that last game was backwards and forwards. We didn't know who was going to go out, and Germany had left looking at themselves, going to have to do another study like after they did after the 2002 Euro. Wowie wow. And we'll talk more about Germany in a minute. Final group stage game that was today. Uh, we had South Korea pull off the upset. Hinmin Sun and the pulls it off against Portugal. Portugal were already through. They didn't have to field a good side, but Ghana and Uruguay was the game there. Uruguay gets two goals and then they sit off thinking, oh, Portugal will beat South Korea, no problem. Then as the game is going on, Luis Suarez comes off in the 60th minute. He's sitting on the bench. He's relaxed. He's having a good time. Then he sees that on 91, Huang He Chen scores a goal from uh, Wolverhampton Wanderers. He doesn't score for them, but maybe he can score for South Korea. On a setup from Sonny, of course, we know Mike would be there loving it. Um, and then because the Uruguay game is you know, a few minutes ahead. Uruguay then has to scramble and try and get a goal against Ghana. And Ghana are time-wasting. They don't care. There's all this history from the 2010 Cup with, with, with Luis Suarez blocking the ball off the line and the Asimov Yan uh, miss. Now, Ghana should have had a goal. This game shouldn't have been as close, but Jordan Ayew had missed a penalty. Um, so Uruguay, thinking they just needed a win and thought they could cruise – Complete game state change in the middle of the game. The whole thing flips, and with about 10 minutes to go, Uruguay just have to try and find offense in their game, and they can't because they've already taken off Nunez, and they've already taken off Suarez, and they can't find a way forward. Oh, look at that. Look at all the people. Hello, Cowper. I do. I read the chat. <laughs> Sorry about that. So... um 
just checking in. We had a commenter on YouTube checking in, um, uh, Cowper. So thanks for that. Uh, the Netherlands will be very cold headed. Don't easily get fooled with pressure. Do you read the chat? Yeah, I, I do read the chat and I'm here for you, buddy. Uh, sorry, I missed that. Um, but yeah, we'll go into the Netherlands game in a minute. Nice to be going live. Missed the chat for a second there. But what I was trying to chat about was the um, the the Uruguay just sort of disappointing and dropping themselves out and really just not giving themselves a chance to win this game. And I think one of the themes I'm taking from this knockout round is just the idea that you've got to attack when you have a chance. And when you have a very a very strong sort of tiebreaker, a very, you know, there's not much data, all those goals matter, all the yellow cards matter, everything matters. So you've got to try and get those goals when you need them. You know, Spain had that seven that they dropped, which helped them. And in these last rounds, Goals you scored, the Mexico-Poland tiebreaker was going to fall. Had had Mexico scored a goal, they would have been fine. But the Mexico tiebreaker was yellow cards. I mean, there's fair play things. And, you know, there's many different ways we could handle this, like minutes you were in the lead or whatever. But all these things totally matter. And um, it was interesting to see some of these things come to fruition when people were trying to figure out what the right path was and where they were going to go. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Bengal counter heavy. And we'll go right into the round of 16. Let's read off who we've got in the round of 16. Tomorrow, we've got Netherlands versus USA. We'll go into that more in depth. Argentina get Australia. Uh, France on Sunday play Poland. That should be easy. Round of 16, England gets Senegal. That will be tough. Then we've got on Monday, Japan playing Croatia. And on Monday as well, Brazil playing South Korea. So some of these teams' dreams will end. Morocco plays Spain, a very good Morocco team. And Portugal plays Switzerland. So when we get into the round of 16, things just get tougher. And I think if we're honest, the weakest teams left would probably be Australia, Poland, and the USA. We're in the bottom three, I think, at this point, to be fair. Um, I don't – I rate Croatia. I rate – South Korea and Japan is better, especially the crucible they had to go through. I mean, Japan at the end of the day um, beat Germany and Spain. That's really, really good. Um, but in terms of brackets, let's sort of break down where things can go. Should the U.S. advance, they will play the winner of Argentina, Australia. Japan would play the winner. Uh, Japan, Croatia leads into Brazil versus is in the same bracket as Brazil and South Korea. Uh, France is in the same bracket as Senegal and England. Very tough spot. And then Morocco, Spain, Portugal, and Switzerland are all on the same side. So uh, quarterfinal groups pairings are pretty clear uh, when you look at them. And I'll try and bring them up really quickly, see if I can't bring this up on the screen just so I'm not talking through it too much. Uh, Copper says, I love how Asian countries have been playing above expectation. Even as a European, I hope European diamonds comes to an end. I feel like it is, is this where the World Cup is ending? Yeah, I, I think, Copper, that's pretty interesting. Um, I think the location is sort of helped. 
the Asian countries. I think the way that um, it's not in South America where the South American teams can get all that advantage, but in the Middle East where there's a different atmosphere, I think that the sort of tradition of of the fans of the European teams, this is different. It's a little bit out of the ordinary, and I think it's an advantage to some of the Asian teams uh, there. And I do think that there is a growth of the game and coaching spreading around the world that make this one different. Um, the dominance of Germany slowing down a little bit, um, the proliferation, I think, of the Premier League around the world. Uh, I think we're seeing the same thing in a lot of sports. If you think about international sports, basketball is now much more international. Soccer is much more international. I think it's it's 25 years of the internet. I think I, I take a longer view of this where the fact that you can watch training videos and watch YouTube videos and watch coaches' voice and you've seen every single game Messi's ever played and you can see every single Instagram post of all those games, that inspires everyone. So the levels of the players are more similar than they've ever been. And I think you see someone like Hinmin Sun who's so technical playing in the Premier League and the Japanese players are playing in Europe more often. There's lots of good players all around the world. I think there is a level, the bottom, sorry, the floor of talent is much higher than it's ever been. Um, you know, I think that the dominance by Europeans in terms of coaching and some of the getting through tournaments and toughness, I think that's disappearing. And I think that there's a narrower band. And I think we will definitely see an Asian team, an African team get to the quarterfinals for sure. Uh, I don't think that we have anything that's particularly ruthless. I think, you know, that performance by Argentina was pretty strong and they've grown into the tournament versus some of the other teams that have declined. Like we saw Spain sort of get worse as the tournament went on. Uh, but I think that Argentina has gotten better. Uh, we've seen Brazil lost their last game. They dropped players. That's fine. But, you know, where where things are going seems on the up and up for other people. Academies are very important for national growth, and those academies need to be funded, and the funds are gained by interest, and the internet really helps with gaining interest. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. Let me just – I'm going to keep on the agenda and, and go into the U.S.-Dutch uh, matchup because that's what everyone wants to hear about. So the Dutch team is a good team to Copper's Point, who's in the chat. Um, Louis van Gaal is a defensive coach. He defends with possession. It's very slow. It's very methodical. The players need to be exactly where they're supposed to be. It's very much a, a chess game where the passes are almost rehearsed. I remember when he was the coach at Man United and um, Wayne Rooney talked about how everything was very precise and it had to be this many passes around the back before you made a forward pass. So there was counting. It was very put together and methodical. But he does come from the Ajax school. He did manage at Ajax. He's a winning coach. He did take the Dutch to the 2010 final. He was the coach there when he played a brutal version of football where Nigel de Jong tried to kill um, Xavi Alonso. Uh, very different style. So we can expect the Dutch to be methodical and hold the ball uh, and really try and sort of lull the United States into sleep and sort of pressure them slowly. Uh, my view is that this isn't a very athletic team except in the back for the Dutch and that everything's going to run through Frankie de Jong. If Tyler Adams and McKinney can match de Jong, I think in terms of defending, then I don't think the U.S. will be troubled too much. 
because he's the linchpin that makes the team go. He's the fulcrum. The ball comes to him. He's got to spray the balls out wide to get balls into the box. They don't have a great striker. They do, actually. They do have a great striker. They don't use him. Yeah, 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 yeah. I hear you. Listen, I don't think that Van Gaal's a bad coach, uh, Copper. He's just he's just an iconoclastic uh, kind of thing. Um, I, I kind of classic coach who does what he wants to do within the context and the flow of the game. So we have that going on. I just think that there's an athletic gap that the U.S. has that our midfield can run the Dutch midfield out of the game. Uh, I do worry when it comes to scoring. Ake, De Vries, um, and Van Dyke really, really good and make it really, really difficult to score uh, for the team. I'd be worried about that. Yeah, yeah. I, it's a, I, I, Copper, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say Van Gaal is like Mourinho. I would say the results are Mourinho-ish, but the way they go about it is different. Uh, Mourinho really just didn't want to have the ball and waited for teams to make mistakes, whereas Van Gaal wants to have the ball and lull you into sleep and sort of get his goals and then hold on to it in a slow, methodical style and make you come after him, make you press on the center box, make you press up. And so, uh, you know, we know he was the famous, he was famously the coach of the 97, 96 Ajax team that won the Champions League and then went on to Barcelona later on, had his beef with Cruyff, a little bit different from Cruyff, but uh, we'll, we'll fill in. We'll fill in for with, with what Kuiper is up to also. Uh, some news out of the Dutch camp, however, is they may be battling the flu. I don't know what that means. I don't know if the World Cup is all of a sudden going to become the World Cup of flu. Everyone's in the stadiums. They're in small towns. They're in single-size stadiums. We don't know what that means uh, for, um, for the team, for the league. Um, this Dutch team... You know, it's not, it's not, they have one danger man in Gapko. He's scored in every group game and he's being pushed on. But again, these are players that are playing in the Dutch league. We know from following European football that the translation of Dutch players to other leagues can be difficult. Uh, Nopert is at Herenveen. Don't think that's, you know, he, maybe there's a problem with him. We know about Denzel Dumfries. We know about Ake. We know about Blind and Van Dyke. That core defensive group is really going to be where the strength of, of the Dutch team is. The attack for um, for the Netherlands is, is not that great. I don't think it's a fantastic attack. Uh, you know, we're talking about Luke de Jong. We're talking about uh, Jansen. I mean, why... Vert Veghorst doesn't play. I don't understand. He's a fantastic player. He's the type of player that I think would make a difference. I just remember seeing him in Germany, and he was fantastic. Just a difference maker. Really technical, really big. Uh, might be the type of player who could trouble the U.S. central defense, especially Tim Ream, who's pretty short. Um, don't know what's going to happen there. But I like the U.S. chances against Daly Blind. He's a little bit older. Sure, he's got Naus, and he's a good defender. But I think the U.S. will have a chance if they're going to score. It's going to come down Blinds' side probably more than anything. Uh, I do I do wonder about other players. Uh, but this game could be very tight. Could be very, very tight. Not 
a game. Yeah, not a game that I would be. I wouldn't. I'm I'm worried about it for the U.S., but not too worried. On the U.S. side, you know, the Dutch. We've gone through it. On the U.S. side, the question is whether Zimmerman comes back in or do we play Carter Vickers again. There was a specific comment that um, that Burhalter made that he brought in Carter Vickers because he was a defender that played with the ball the whole time. And I don't know if the U.S. are going to be think that they are going to be a team that's going to have the ball against uh, the Netherlands. I would expect the Netherlands are going to try and possess the ball uh, more than anything. Uh, let's just check on their on their possession stats for their three games. Um, yeah, the Dutch on 54, 54, and 63% possession. So, you know, not not too different from the U.S. The U.S. did outpossess in their games. And I will say that the Dutch did have tougher games. They did beat Senegal. They did draw with um, with Ecuador, although Ecuador definitely should have won. That was no no doubt about that. So maybe they're growing into it and going to get their goal and sit on it. I'm not sure what their thinking is. But for the U.S., I, I'd expect the same group, same lineup, same everything of Musa, Adams, McKinney with Wea, Pulisic. And then who's who's the other one on the right side? Oh, uh, Wea's Pulisic and Sargent. If Sargent can't go, I'm not sure who will play up top. I think in game two, we've had Haji Wright. I don't like Haji Wright. Uh, that mental mistake of not going to the corner, I, I just would not play you again because you almost lost us the fucking game. Uh, I would rather we go with more energy and put Aronson with, just sort of have the three up front and just try and fly around instead of trying to play with a striker. But that's only if um, that's only if uh, um, Sergeant can't go. If Sergeant can go, then I think we play with Sergeant again. But his his ankle seemed pretty bad. Um, so you know we'll see what happens there. I don't like right. I'd much rather we try something. I never want to see Jordan Morris again. That's for sure. Um, I never want to see Jordan Morris again. I do think I want to see more of Aronson, especially if Pulisic can't go. Then I'd expect we see Aronson up top. Uh, I've been really, really impressed with Tim Ream and Anthony Robinson. Just great performances by them. And Dest as well has been really defending. I mean, the team has played well. The United States has been really, really good. I think it, it, the Dutch will... Yeah, the Dutch will 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 rue the day they they sort of don't respect us. But Van Gaal gave a lot of respect to Borhalter in his his uh, comments here. And I'm going to read from Copper again. He says, "I find Luke de Jong to be better than Volt Veghorst because when you don't get in the box enough to score, you can just put a target man and Luke is there to lob some passes into the box." Yeah, I think Veghorst does the same thing. Uh, he's actually more technical, a better shooter, uh, probably a bit more athletic. I like this height. It's just preferences, you know. Just preferences. I like Veghorst. For, for some reason, Von Hall doesn't like him. I don't understand that uh, at all. So, But let's go on to some other matchups that are that are out there that are fascinating, I think. Um, we'd expect Argentina to defeat Australia. Going to give some shout-out to Australia, though. A fighting, tough team. Really hit on the counter. Know who they are. They're going to 
try and kick the shit out of Argentina as much as they can, but they should be outclassed and you'd expect Argentina would advance uh, between the Netherlands and the U.S. Let's say the U.S. goes through. Japan, Croatia is probably closer than we think. Um, I think, you know, having seen Croatia really demolish Canada and then just boss uh, Belgium, I have to say that notes of their demise are greatly exaggerated. This is the semifinal team. The old players are Modric, and Modric is ageless. He's still incredible. He still makes that team tick. Uh, Kramerich has scored some good goals, and we'd expect them to move on. And then Brazil, South Korea. I think this, the, the story ends here for South Korea. South Korea, very, very good. I just don't see them able to pull off another upset uh, against against um, against Brazil. Sorry, I said against that many times. I just was my brain was a little bit foggy there. So. We'll see what happens there. Japan's story also ends against Croatia. I'm not sure they have enough there. But, you know, I think Senegal versus England is going to be tighter than England thinks. I don't trust. I don't trust um, Southgate at all. Zero. (laughs) So we wonder what will happen there. Um, uh, You'd expect England to go through. I probably made some predictions somewhere and I have to check on them later on. Um, and then, you know, we have Portugal and Switzerland and Morocco and Spain. If Spain is not going to finish their chances, Morocco has a really good chance there. And then Switzerland, we know they defeated France in the, in the Euros. We know that they could beat Portugal if they have to. Uh, they're a really quite good team. And then France have an easy draw with Poland. The only way I can see Poland beating France is if Chesney stands on his head again, but then how are they going to score? Uh, is the question. So we're ready. 37 minutes through. Um, any more questions from Cowper who joined us on YouTube? Uh, thanks so much for that. means the world that you showed up. Please share the show. Please like, subscribe, and get it on people's hands. And um, go USA. This is the big one. I think we can win this one. I think we can win 2-1 in extra time. all right that was the squeaky bum time podcast with not mike but laurent cortines we are members of the chop sports network and the fan web network we record on tuesdays and fridays so link and subscribe so that you never miss a show and go usa this is the new operation market garden except this time we're gonna get that bridge (laughs) 